welcome to the podcast of the Urban Mystic. We're still busy working on the next season. In the meantime, this is a bonus episode that best slots in with season two, where we spoke with fellow deconstructors. In this episode, we speak to Phil the Drysdale from the Deconstruction Network. With deconstructors standing as perhaps the fastest growing spiritual movement in the West, as people question and leave religion in general, and not just Christianity, this research is tremendously important. Uh, with that, I really hope that you enjoy the episode as much as uh, Steve, myself, and Phil enjoyed having the conversation. And uh, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, The Urban Mystic. Uh, check out thedeconstructionnetwork.com to find out more about Phil's work. And you can support Urban Mystic via Patreon and PayPal in the links below. Phil, thank you so much for joining us. I, I've really enjoyed coming across your posts online, both on Facebook and, and, and Instagram. I also looked up the Deconstruction Network and pulled out one or two nice quotes from what I read there and, and what you've got up there. It's, it's really nice just to come across someone else that is, is, is working in the deconstruction space that's also looking at research and looking at gaining and, and, and understanding of it. So, so there's that on one hand. The other thing is just thank you for picking up a, you know, an internet request from a stranger on the other side of the planet saying, of course, I'm, I'm quite interested to get a bit of a window into your, into your life and your, and your, and your backstory in terms of your, your journey, how, how you are raised and how you came at deconstruction. And then somewhere in that as well, we all have some kind of backstory experience in terms of our relational engagement with God or our experience of God, however, and whatever that means to you mm -hmm. if it's possible to just highlight what that was sure um well if you can get a word in edgeways you're you please prompt away <laughs> i need it um i, I get stuck <laughs> in my rambles i just circle well I'm, I'm a pastor's kid i grew up in church you know seven days a week i'm inside a church building sort of thing you know i mean like really pastor's kids didn't really enjoy that growing up you know as a, as a kid it was all full of old people you know there was no people my age or if the people were my age they were there maybe like when there was a kids thing on but i was there all the time surrounded by old people and so it was only really about the age kind of 15 16 my dad moved uh, we, we moved um and my dad was able to pick what church he became he was a part of because he was no longer a pastor he was a chaplain and so he offered support to uh, supply vessels and different things like that coming into the ship, the, the, the seaport in, in the town. And so he was like, well, I'm going to pick a church that all my kids can really get involved in because they've not really had very many churches that have a thriving youth group and all this different stuff. And so suddenly on my doorstep is this church with like a hundred youth, which in the UK is a mega church. You know what I mean? That youth group was a mega church. <laughs> you know, we don't have big churches. We've got, you know, you could probably count on a couple of hands, the amount of churches we have over 500 people in the entire UK. I mean, it's just, we don't have huge churches. So yeah, I was suddenly surrounded by loads of people my age, suddenly very relevant. And I was like, wow, this always admired my parents' faith. I saw it as very real, uh, saw incredible answers to prayers and all sorts of amazing things but it didn't feel as relevant to me growing up as a kid because no one else in my world at my age was really engaging on it in, in a meaningful level. And so I dove like right in, I wanted to fit in. I wanted to be a part of this thing. I took it as serious as you get. I'm a very serious person. I'm slightly autistic. I'm slightly ADHD. So I do hyperfixation as well. I read the Bible inside out. I went to every prayer meeting. I went to every youth group thing. I quickly became a youth leader, uh, just really, really serious. But the whole time I'm constantly questioning everything and asking, um, you know, is, what is that true? Is there a better way to do this? Is, what, what does the Bible really say? I, I'm all, I've always been someone that is very, um, I like to question things. My mom brought me up to question things, including her. She regretted that long term. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, long term, she, she enjoyed it, but I think short and medium term, she <laughs> regretted it. 
But she always said, even me, she's like, question anyone that tells you anything, really figure it out. Is this true? And so I was constantly questioning my faith and questioning Christianity and going, well, the Bible does say we should be healing people. So like, how come I'm part of this church that loves people and they're doing great, but they're not healing anyone. So like, how does that work? And so I'm searching for a church. Mm. Oh, there's churches in my area that actually do healings. Oh, I'm going to check that out. And then you go, ah, yeah, that's interesting. And some of it's cool. And some of it seems really legit. Like, it's amazing. But also the Bible says we should be looking after homeless people. And they don't seem to be doing much in that area. And so I was constantly trying to find the, the perfect type of Christianity. And as time went on, I thought I was honing my Christianity. I was getting more and more perfect, right? I was figuring it out. I was figuring out what it is to be the best Christian. Um, I ended up giving away my business. I moved across uh, to the other side of the world. So I joined a uh, ministry school, got very involved in that. And then I got very involved in the church that was a uh, part of that. And then I started traveling around the world and I started speaking in conferences and churches and Bible colleges and things like that. Um, and so I was really serious. You could not question whether I was serious about this, not to mention the fact that you make no money doing what I do uh, or <laughs> did. Um, so like, you know, I, I, I had to be passionate. You know, I gave away, um, uh, I walked away from my business. It was, you know, it sold about a year later and the partners made, you know, a couple million. Um, and I walked away with nothing and have, you know, so I, I, I was passionate, you know, just all that to say, you couldn't say, oh, he was just in it for the money or "Ah, he wasn't really a Christian or any of these kind of things. I was serious. Um, I remember one time in Bible college, I actually had this little um, uh, renting this tiny room and it had like a sliding door cupboard. And um, I, I was really serious about a prayer closet. And I literally climbed to my closet every morning at <laughs> 5am. I get up at 5am to pray for two hours and I climb into the closet and I'd literally have to like kind of slide the door with my hands because there's no handle on the inside. It's closed. And I just sit in the dark and pray for two hours and I pray in tongues or I pray like uh, in, in words and I pray for my friends and I pray for the world and I pray for everything. I mean, I, for two hours, you know, so I was really passionate, like um, crazy Christian, you know. Uh, what's it called? DC Talk would have called me a Jesus freak, right? <laughs> um, but the whole time I'm constantly questioning and I'm asking you, uh, you know, what's what's the truth here? How can I do this better? What, how can I dig into this deeper? I remember the first week of um, Bible college, they, um, they gave us a book. It was a charismatic place. And they gave us a book, Bill Johnson's When Heaven Invades Earth. It's all about miracles and, you know, all sorts of amazing, wonderful healing and stuff like that. And um, I remember my, my roommate came in or housemate came in and I had that on my desk, but I was currently reading John Piper's God is the Gospel. And next to it, I had, which I was planning to read that week as well, Brian McLaren's A New Type of Christianity. And so that gives you an idea of the type of Christian I was. I, like, I, I didn't fixate and, 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 and um, get stuck in one rut. I'm reading a charismatic, uh, hyper Calvinist and you know um, a progressive emergent Christian. And I was like, no, there's nonsense and all of these and there's amazing stuff and all these and i'm gonna figure it out i'm gonna figure out the best way to do this and so that was always my way um and along the way as i kept doing that certain things i'd find and i'd go ah i can't find a good answer about that or i did find a good answer maybe within orthodox christianity maybe even outside of it and i was like that works for my faith i feel close to god it works but i probably can't tell anyone about that um as so i found myself as time was going on i'm traveling and speaking all over the world and there's all sorts of beliefs I have that I would not be able to talk about or I would never get in another church again. But what's interesting is people kind of read between the lines. It's really interesting. But um, I'd be speaking about things that I knew would be relatively okay. I'd maybe push the boundaries a bit and kind of try and nudge people in the right direction here and there as I perceived the right direction to be because I was still a Christian. I still had the right thing and everyone needed the right thing to be saved or to be right. But as I was doing that, people were starting to perceive that maybe I was a safe person to talk to. 
And so what I had was at the end of messages, or if I was staying in a Bible college for a week or something, people would come up to me and go, can I talk to you? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. And they would bring up all sorts of questions. They would be, you know, I'm, I'm really questioning if, you know, if God's good, like, how can he send people to hell? And my church has an answer for that. But honestly, it just doesn't make sense to me. Like, what do you think? And, and is there room to, is there other places? Do you know of any resources? And, you know, other people come to me going, hey, I'm, I'm gay and I can't talk about that and I don't know what to do. And, um, and these people couldn't talk to their families. They couldn't talk to their pastors. They couldn't talk to other people in their churches because it would be the end of all of their relationships. It would, it would mean they would have to leave the church. It would mean that they'd get divorces or, you know, really serious consequences as they saw it. Maybe that might not have happened. Maybe they lived in a very accepting, wonderful church and they didn't know it. Chances are they were correct. There's a good chance, you know, roll a dice and it's likely to be. <laughs> but yeah, so what's interesting is I found as I was traveling, dozens of people everywhere I went would come up to me. They'd come up to me for prayer at the end and they didn't want prayer. They'd be like, can I just quickly ask you it? You know, like, um, and <laughs> They knew that some anonymous guy that comes in from the other side of the world, speaks at a church for a couple of hours, hangs out for a couple of hours and talks to people and then leaves is a kind of safe person to unburden yourself on because he's not going to out you. He doesn't, you know, he's probably not even, after the crappy message he gave, he's not coming back. That's for sure. <laughs> you know? I was finding more and more that as I was traveling, all sorts of people were wrestling with their faith and questioning what their faith would look like and how it might go for them as they move forward. And it got me thinking, you know, people doing what I did, traveling around, speaking, sharing what I believe, um, helping people, you know, strengthen what they already believe. I was like, gosh, you can't, you know, you can't swing a cat in a room without hitting eight people that do that. You know, I mean, in the church, everyone and your mom does that, you know, there's no struggle for support. If you if you're a conventional Christian and you want support in your conventional faith, there is no shortage of people that can help you in that. But looking around, I was like, people see me as oxygen. These people specifically, other people probably thought, oh, that guy's an idiot. I don't really like him. But these specific people, I came to their church and they clung to me. They would be like, this is the best conversation I've ever had. And it's like, this is like four minutes. You know, like I just told you it's okay that, it, you know, you don't believe in eternal conscious torment. And I gave you a resource to read that shows you some other options within Christianity. And they're like, no, honestly, this is, this is taking such a weight off my shoulders. And I would think, Gosh, there's probably other people out there doing this. I'm sure there are other people. There's a few bigger people that probably aren't very accessible. I could think of people that are questioning and challenging the status quo, but you couldn't approach them. And I was like, who's out there? At, at the time, I probably would have used the word like pastoring these people, giving them something, someone to talk to, someone to process with, someone to uh, navigate this journey with. Um, and so that's what I kind of started to shift doing about eight, 10 years ago, I started shifting into a place where I would just support people that are questioning their faith. And very quickly, I found that trying to steer people that are questioning their faith to what I had come to the conclusions of, and my conclusions are constantly evolving and growing, but trying to steer them to that wasn't a great idea. Maybe worked for one in a hundred people. <laughs> Most people needed to figure out their own journey. Not, not a great return on investment. No, it's not great. Well, you know, it's, it's better than nothing, but it was pretty grim. Yeah, it, most people needed to figure stuff out on their own. And I needed to give people space to come to conclusions that were different than mine because we all rationalize and think differently, right? Um, like my mom taught me to question everything. She lived her entire life like that. She died a very, very conventional Christian in a lot of ways. And so she questioned everything, but the answers she found were very different to the answers that I 
have been founding as I question things. And so you have to make room for the diff different people to have their own conclusions and their own journey. And nine times out of 10, the answer you find will not be your answer in 10 years anyway. You're going to change constantly, right? You're lucky if you make it another year with that belief. <laughs> and so, yeah, so that's what I've been doing for the last eight, 10 years is um, offering support to people that are struggling with that. And in the midst of that, I've come across such needs for people to find connection and um, connect with other people that are going through this process. And so online communities have become much more prevalent now. There's all sorts of Facebook groups and Discord groups and mm. things like that, which are great trying to help people go a step further and connect with other people locally. Um, I found that most people were, were parts of online communities, but it wasn't enough for them. They needed that relationship. You can say what you like about church, but one thing it does well is little community, local community. It does great. You can not enjoy it maybe, or you can be on the outsides of it or, you know, different components. Of that. And if you change your beliefs, you very quickly find out the negative part of having a close tight knit group that surrounds themselves and, and bonds over specific beliefs. But if you have the right beliefs, community is done well uh, for church. You'll slot right in and we'll, we'll take care of you. We support you. You know, we're there for you. We create regular interaction with other people and you, you know, you get friends made for you. You don't even have to make friends. You just come on in. Here's some friends. People miss that. In fact, the data shores up um, when you ask across the, the, the spectrum of people that end up leaving a church. So de-churching, not specifically deconstructing. Those are two kind of like yeah. overlapping but different groups. People that de-church, the thing that they miss the most is not their certainty in God. It's not their purpose and uh, meaning. It's not all, all sorts of different things. The measurements are relatively low when you compare it to community, friends, and family. The loss of community, friends, and family is the number one metric that people say they miss the most. And so I was finding people messaging me every day. I talk to a couple hundred people every day via instant messenger and stuff. It's the best way to kind of talk to as many people as possible and support as many people as possible. And I talk to hundreds of people there and every day people are going, hey, do you know someone in Austin, Texas? Do you know anyone in London that's going through this? Do you know someone in Sydney? Do you know someone in Johannesburg? And I'm like, Ah, uh, yes, I've talked to 20 people from there probably, but I don't remember any of their names and I can't like, you know, I'm, I'm not going to give you their phone number or something. You know, I don't even, you know, know if they would want to talk to you. But what I did is I was like, there needs to be some way for people to connect with other people that have gone through this journey. And what's interesting is they believe different things. You know, people at Deconstruct do not end up believing the same thing. This is a common myth is deconstruction is a path to X atheism, progressive Christianity, whatever you, whatever someone believes it is, it's generally not. It might be for a specific percentage of people, but not for everyone. Um, and so it's an interesting dynamic that people that deconstruct find that they can't connect with their old church friends very well, their old conventional Christian friends, um, because they don't really get them. Um, and so there's an element where you can't fully share or it creates a lot of problems and all that different stuff. But what's interesting is you can't really connect with all your friends that have never been in the church and never gone through that process of leaving the church because they don't get what you're going through and they don't get the pain and the hardship and the, you know, the rejection and all sorts of different things that you're having to navigate that they haven't navigated in that context. And so a lot of times people find such a, a meaningful connection with someone that's gone through that journey, even if I end up a progressive Christian and you end up an atheist and Tim over there ends up a, an agnostic or a, a Hindu. Uh, it doesn't matter where we end up, actually. The fact that we've come from a similar place and we've gone through a process of pursuing what we seem to be true, that's a very meaningful experience. And so that's why I created, you mentioned the Deconstruction Network. That, that is a place where people can 
can connect, they sign up, it's all free. And they put in their location, they can search, you know, in a 10 mile radius, a hundred mile radius of their location. And it will give you people you can message and say, hey, I'm on this journey. Do you want to meet for coffee or do you want to just chat a bit online and, you know, see if we connect and maybe our families can get together or whatever. And that's been very meaningful, like um, giving people that opportunity to have on the ground connection with people that understand. Um, sorry, it's a big ramble, but that's basically what I'm doing. And, and the Deconstruction Network has evolved from there to, the, I'll, I'll finish with this as far as what I do. There's a huge lack in understanding in deconstruction. And so what you'll see is, Nine times out of 10, any time a deconstruction becomes something in the spotlight, it's because some famous worship pastor or something deconstructed and tweeted about it or something. And then everyone in your mom comes to the table to comment on it. But everyone in your mom doesn't know bugger all about deconstruction, right? <laughs> so um, it ends up being, um, you know, absolute nonsense, you know? So you get an article in the Times or something, you know, some really respected and well-read publication does an op-ed piece about this person who just deconstructed and they go, and what does John Piper say about that? And you're like, oh, I couldn't imagine what John Piper's going to say. I don't even need to read the next bit, you know, like, and it's like, John Piper says that deconstruction is for those that never had a real faith in the first place. And they just want to be an atheist and sin and get street cred. And you're like, wow, wow. John Piper has not talked to anyone that's ever gone through his journey, apparently, or if he did, he did not listen. Um, and I don't mean to pick on John Piper, any Christian pastor will tend to do it, something like that. Well, another one that I've got is, is, is Tim, we, we had someone that was deconstructing and all that kind of stuff. And then they came to church and, and, you know, it's two years later and they're now one of our elders and they fit in so well and they're amongst our leaders. And I was like, yeah, they were looking to fit in. That's what they were looking for. They, yeah. they, 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 their deconstruction was not a deconstruction. It was a quest for community. Anyway, anyway, anyway. So I don't, I, I don't want to go on a, a ramble there, but, but deconstruction really is different things to different people. And yes. One of the things that we did in, in the second season of our podcast is we connected with a whole bunch of people that are deconstructing, but then helping other people deconstruct. So similar to you, but I missed you. <laughs> like you, you, for some reason, didn't end up being uh, on, on the radar then. So, so it's, it's nice to, come, to have come across you and come across what you're doing along those lines. And, um, and just add to that, because one of the things that we wanted to do and sought to do is just create some nuance for it. People were, uh, I was coming across so many people that were one dimensional in it, that didn't see it as though it is something that is large and vast as it is. And they try to put in a very narrow box of people that are just, they weren't Christian to begin with, or they've lost their faith, or they're just backsliding. Or, you know, it, it's, it's an, an evolution of some of those earlier language forms rather than an appreciation for what is actually going on. Um, and, and it didn't embrace any of the complexities of, of life, spirituality, uh, the reality of the absence or the presence of God, even or primarily the absence yeah so yeah i mean it was just it was just fascinating to get into that yeah i'm intrigued in, as you look across your guests in season two um because you talk about those uh tropes within christianity of oh they never believed in the first place or whatever it is right all these kind of like funny tropes that you can look from the outside and go oh yeah i used to teach you bible study but no i don't know the bible you know it's like hey like of course um uh sure greg okay um but you know what I find really interesting, I'd be interested to hear from you, is across those people that are helping people deconstruct, how many of them had um, a destination in mind as they were helping people deconstruct? Because that's something I find very interesting because it's not far removed from the same thing a lot of the time. Yeah, I, I, th I think an initial comment, which I, if, if I understand your question correctly, Phil, I think an initial direction for people is just out. Mm-hmm. 
I think there's a, there's a need. How can I put this? I would reflect some of what what I heard you saying earlier. What 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 it sounds like you're describing in some of the earlier days is kind of the birth of an alter ego, almost. There's a separate there's a separate person that starts to grow within the original person and they house the questions and the, the wonderings and the explorings, et cetera. And that person is not always shown. That's part of what I hear you describing. Sure. And that resonates very much with me. I have similar experience and I've spoken to many people who have that similar experience of so this, this person who remains hidden, but at some point that person takes over and there's a sense of, okay, actually this, this is kind of the new emergent me and, and, that's oversimplified in a way, mm-hmm. but at that point, there's a desire to strike outwards. And, and it's almost as if, a, if I can just get away, I, I want to embrace this new direction. I'm not entirely sure what it is. Yeah. And so it's not a very well, how can I put this? It's, it's well thought through. I think it's often, it's often almost over-reasoned and investigated and deliberate and people sweat blood literally i think sometimes over this and and i think that's something else that people don't appreciate about deconstruction i read something from pete ends out of the u.s recently where he said anybody who thinks that deconstructors take this direction lightly are idiots basically yeah because i don't don't think anybody just goes hey i'll I'll just give up everything that i know to be certain in my community and i'll oh i'll just douse everything in my life in petrol and burn it (laughs) exactly reputation friends blah 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 and and you've given some great examples of that as you talk through your own story etc but there's this drive to just to just go to embrace the new that that this is important Mm. and i think some of that is is what i've seen across spectrum there is some commonality around it's time to go it's time to move it's time to strike out but I think it would be strange to, to talk to, I don't know how many people I've spoken to in deconstruction who could say, oh, at that point, I knew I was leaving A and I was going to arrive at B. Right. I, I think that's almost, that's almost, uh, that must be so rare that it's, it's almost it's very, rare. very rare. It but yeah. I think that that was my question is because I, I see something, I, yeah, I see something very frequently within this space that people that have a desire to help people have a thing of, well, I left and I didn't know where I was going to go. And it was a painful, terrifying time. And I did douse everything in petrol and burn it. And I'm moving out and I have no idea where to go. And eventually I found that this answer for that question, this answer for that question, and this answer for that question, which led me to be this thing, person, whatever. I'm a Taoist monk now, or I'm yeah. a progressive Christian, or I've, I'm an atheist and this is how to do it well, or reconstruct your faith as an atheist. Or... And what's interesting is the, 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 the lack of awareness of how uncertain and how much you had to navigate that path yourself in a lot of people that then go, okay, so I'm going to create a course which fix, which answers all those questions I had, gives you the right answer and helps you become like me. And that's the path that you should take if you deconstruct. So you see a lot of progressive Christians do this because they, they, they feel that they've deconstructed their faith and moved into progressive Christianity and many of them have. Um, but they feel that anyone that's got questions about Christianity should answer them with a progressive lens and become a progressive Christian. So they, they go, here's the answer to deconstruction. And you'll hear them go, oh, you can deconstruct your faith without losing your faith in God. Or, um, and it can be very prescriptive. So it's very interesting. I, I just was intrigued if you guys have seen that um, as you're talking to people in this space. I predominantly speak to people that are on the way out from Christianity, and that's gone back to forever. And people who 
would classify themselves as either uh, as amongst any of the new religious movements or spiritual but not religious or, or atheists um, and anti-theists who are starting to move towards God. So, so it's, it's the one kind of person that's, that, that's on the way out because they're taking the quest for relational engagement with God seriously. And other people who are basically on the way towards relational engagement with God, who basically go, I want to bypass church and Christianity because I'd, I'd deconverted from that anyway, from my childhood, because sure. that's the vanilla of our society. So they don't want to consider that, but they do want the reality of. So that that's very different animals. Within the context of what we did series-wise, there was... We, 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 we had the privilege of, of interviewing most people ahead so we could kind of put them together and say there's these patterns sure. that are emerging. And one of the patterns is, is the person that deconstructs but stays within, not quite in the same sense of the, de of the progressive Christian, because we actually have some people that were within our conversations that were more conservative, really. They, they basically landed in a place of going, what we're doing as church is not working, so let's reinvent what we're doing. And they deconstruct and stayed within that. Then there were other people that were deconstructing uh, in different ways and landing in ways to enable other people to deconstruct. But but some were in the sense of inviting people to explore in journeys and legs that they were going on. So it wasn't the sense of going, I've got answers. It was going, here's my interest, here's where I'm going. Are you are you interested? Are you on board? Mm. And, and then there are others that land in the place of going, well, we'll help others deconstruct. And then there was this whole category of people that were that had left ministry you know so everyone here everyone that we worked with that we we we, we spoke to they weren't in the category of nominal believers that deconstructed mm. these are these are people that are careers and big platforms or you know very successful in small platforms but you know still they were they were invested and then and then there's the individuals that have basically gone on to go what i've what i've captured I've let go of all these things exterior-wise that I'm supposed to say that I believe or supposed to say that I'm do. But in my own life, I've arrived at deeper relationships and greater authenticity mm. and, and, and a deep appreciation of life. And within that, I still have a meaningful spirituality. And in fact, often have a more meaningful spirituality then than did afterwards, uh, than before. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that sounds like a fascinating spectrum. Yeah. No, it's cool. I just, I'm just fascinated by that dynamic. It's really interesting. I'm not sure I have a question here, Phil, so forgive me. If Don't worry, I can talk for 45 minutes either way. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to give, see give if me I your can... best shot, Steve. I'll turn it into yeah. a question. <laughs> I'll, I'll try and key you up with something. So in some ways, when I listen to you and I listen to you talk about, about the care you take in terms of working with individuals, I think that's what I'm hearing you talk about in terms of, of um, not wanting to project your own experience into their lives, not wanting to be prescriptive around their own personalized deconstruction, if I can put it that way. On the one hand, I, I can hear that very clearly. And it's something that resonates very deeply within me. And on the other hand, I feel like there's a sense of tension where I want to push back and go, theoretically, though, there are some threads that seem to run through deconstructions. It's a very wide spectrum, etc. And would you... <clears throat> Would you, you, you give me an example bit, of the threat? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, 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 or, yeah. yeah, I'll come. I'll come to that. So, uh, people question the Bible. People question, you know, eternity. There's um, the church as an institution. There is kind of the the hierarchical pyramids of leadership and power and all those sorts of dynamics going on within church communities. Like commercialization. Yeah. There's all sorts of things that there are some common markers in some ways, even though people might not end in the same space that, that seem to emerge. 
And I think it's even you know, broader than that. There's just bits and pieces that, that not bits and pieces, there are threads that I pick up um, in common and perhaps I'm not using as broad a lens as, as could be, and I'm open to that. But would, would you kind of go with that tension? Because what I like about, I don't think you're saying this, I'm not sure, I'm checking. It feels as though you're prioritizing the individual journey because I would say, yes, deconstruction is intensely personal. And I think if you don't start there, it's too easy to swing across to the theoretical side and go, yes, but people who deconstruct, they're going to question the Bible. They're going to question leadership. They're going to question hell and heaven. They're going to question blah, 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 blah. And so, you know, as you say, we'll create a course. We can give people a roadmap, et cetera. They should end here. And that's where I think of in the individual, for example, I think of like Richard Raw's um, uh, I can only think in construction, it's, it's, it's sort of construct chaos and reconstruct cycle. I forget the words that he uses there exactly, but chaos is in the middle. And that for me is where it's intensely personal. People build systems of belief and understanding and welcome and, and where they feel comfortable and at peace, et cetera. And then something leads them to question or to move or to stretch or, and they go into this chaos cycle. And if you can't hold onto that as, as of primary importance and meet the individual there, then it swings too far across to the theoretical side of just, oh, your journey is probably going to play out like this or probably going to play out like that. And uh, so my background is, is within psychology more than theology. And so when I think through the, the massive permutations around personality as it manifests in individuals, I go, yes, keep the primary importance around the individual. But at the same time, we can map out some key kind of you know, components to personality and, and there's ways in which to, to, to draft sketches of personality that help us understand each other, et cetera, there's some key components there. But I would, I, would, I would hold that tension and I would say the individual for me comes first, but I wouldn't disregard kind of the theoretical. I don't know if that's clear enough. How does that sit Absolutely. with you? Is there a let's, sense of that for you? Let's dive into it, it, let's dive into it with psychology because that's your, your field. Okay. So let's talk child developmental theory. Okay. So, because it's a really simple path and a linear path that most psychologists across the board, we've kind of, we're still making incredible discoveries about how children develop psychology, psychologically, but we've got some clear metrics and some clear points. And so we understand that uh, kids generally kind of gendered here um, develop empathy between sort of five, six years old. What would happen if you sat down with a toddler and said, look, here's the deal. I know you think that you're the only thing that exists in the world and you're developing your ego right now and you're learning that, oh, I have my own separate will and I can say no and this is amazing, but you don't understand that when you're sad, other people aren't sad, you can't grasp that. I'm gonna yell at you until you develop empathy or I'm gonna teach you empathy or I'm gonna tell you, you're gonna start questioning this ego and you're gonna start believing that other people have a different identity and that what they feel is different to you. How would that go? How many years do you think it would take before empathy was developed? Either way, no matter how much you taught it, it's probably going to be another three or four years. Um, and so for me, I can look at someone and go, you're probably going to start questioning the Bible real soon. But you know what you're not questioning right now? The Bible. So me saying, hey, better crack that Bible open and question it. All I'm doing is creating a barrier between me and them. 
Um, and actually what I want to do is draw people in. And so my question is, what are you questioning? And hey, they can go, I'm questioning the Bible. And you go, oh, what questions do you have? And they go, yeah, I've got this question. I'm not sure what to do with that. And I can say, I've got some different resources, just a few different people that have different opinions on how to answer that question. I could share some book suggestions or a podcast, you know, go talk to Pete Enns if you've got questions about the Bible. Yeah. Um, but also don't just talk to Pete Enns. Go read, you know, this book or, you know, because generally speaking, you're going to find a lot of different opinions about this. And so for me, I want to keep things open. I want to keep them uh, being the, the masters of their path. And so I can say, yeah, when you deconstruct from a conventional faith, almost certainly at some point you're going to be like, yeah, but do we have to hate gay people? Almost certainly at some point you're going to go, eh, are we really putting the, the, the whole moral framework of reality in a book that was written by primitive just out the bronze age people <laughs> like we're really going to do that of course you're going to start questioning at some point but to me um trying to funnel people through a system that yes some of these things are likely to happen um it's not going to work until it's time for it to get there so yeah i've got all those tools in my belt i i know questions that are more likely than not and so i've studied them extensively so i can give a really broad range of options for people you know people can come to me and go what does the bible say about homosexuality and i'm like oh well if not question the bible yeah so let's put that to the side let's not go well first of all you need to question if the bible is even true or not no no, no. we can still look at homosexuality through many lens with many different outcomes uh, through these different authors, through these different people, we can read some Jewish midrash about it. Like, you know, we can open up and, and look at these things. And in that, they might over time start going, gosh, if there's so many different opinions, and even the Jews had some different opinions on this. And, you know, even in the early church, probably some conflicting opinions. And wow, like, what's the Bible? And I'm like, oh, we got to the Bible now. Okay, let's bring in, you know, whatever resource I have. Um, and so I think that's, for me, it's, it's about, it's not uh neglecting the fact that people will question broad things although i do think you're niching down really close i think you're sticking within a very tight uh bubble some of the things you mentioned are very christian centric and deconstruction is much broader than christianity deconstruction isn't even about faith it's a broader thing that happens to people that we're talking about the faith aspects within that anyway sorry go to it so, so what, what one of the things that I, I i noticed uh a while back um you know so i i took I took my own experience seriously and I took other people's experience seriously. And, and I noticed for, for many years, so in the early 2000s, I did this, uh, you know, like, like urban missional work and was very narrowly boxed. So I had a ministry to new ages and, and a, a large number of the reasons why people fought with me as, as Christians was because they felt that I wasn't clearly enough making certain statements of faith and, and trying to hold people to it. And my response was always, I don't find that helpful I rather want to help people ask better questions that support them in their journey. So one of the things that I even did is, is, is I noticed that there are, there are patterns that emerge and, and there's paradigms that people hold to as though that's true for them, but it's not true for them. And so for instance, one of the things was people going, we've searched far and wide and then we landed on the following faith. And it, when I explored that with people, I noticed that they hadn't searched at all. And so I said, let me help people search. And so I, I, I had series and courses and seminars and that where I helped people search. And in that context, that, that was some of the things that got people to fight with me. And so I, 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 like, I, I like what you're saying because I found it so helpful to enable people to ask those questions and enable them to start exploring those answers or not even exploring answers, but exploring other people who've posed similar questions from a broad environment 
one of the things that I feel that Christianity in general, and, and in fact, any, every religion struggles with, with, you know, I speak to people from, you know, Buddhist and Hindu backgrounds and Muslim backgrounds are in the same boat. They, they're raised within a faith that they inherited. They live mm-hmm. in a secular society and they, and they meet wonderful people and horrible people of all other faiths. And then the most nuance that they have is within their own faith, where they've got this juxtaposition, where they see people claiming stuff, but not living up to it. So, so these are all common elements. Mm. Finding ways to ask questions around that and enable others to ask questions around that is more fruitful than telling someone you've got to convert to from religion A to B. I think on the other hand, within deconstruction, within our, our broader historical context, we have gone through eras where, where the first form of early deconstruction was people leave left one faith for another. Another form of deconstruction is the development of the new religious movements and the new age in particular as an aggregating kind of, you know, like, like, like throw it all together kind of thing, um, more recombinant really. And that ends up being being helpful because it was a way it, it's ways for people to go, I don't have to join another religion, perhaps we can build something new. And then deconstruction more as we know it is 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 very late um, postmodern or early post secular, really is where it's at, because it's it's people more or less recapturing their own inner identity as though I need to have a meaningful spirituality. And so I feel that questions that we are starting to emerge are around spirituality similar to the early 1900s when people started asking questions around the inner life and inner psychology and the sexuality of people and the meaning of that and so it's 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 as it's as early as that it's not something that i feel that the that many people across religions not just christianity are lending enough recognition as though this is this is this is valuable it's still seen as this is a trickle stream rather yep. than actually this is not a trickle stream this is a massive happening and and there, there there's a few people like the three of us and others that are starting to dive into it and we're recognizing it as such and we're trying to find our way through it um sorry there's no particular question in there like i can also ramble <laughs> <laughs> no it's good I, I like it rambling to rambling no it's good I, I think you're right i mean at the end of the day what deconstruction is is people going through a state of psychological development where they let go it's generally um understood depending on different models there's over 100 different developmental theories developmental theory is my favorite pet products uh, to, to talk about but um to whatever model you use generally speaking you're going to find some level of ego which is at a stage often called conventional which looks for safety certainty and security and looks to an authority figure to give it so even in child developmental theory now you're looking at kind of seven through maybe 11 or so you're looking for safety certainty and security give me some black and white answers mom and dad definitely mom and dad if the teacher opposes them, I'm even going to, uh, my whole world's going to fall apart. I'm like, what would you mean? Mom's wrong? Like, you know, like, um, so maybe my new authority is my teacher maybe or something, but I still need an authority figure to tell me what's right, what's wrong, make me feel safe, make me feel certain. Um, and as uh, people come out of that stage, and a lot of people stay at that stage on many, in many areas of their life, and faith is a big one to kind of stay rooted in that. You've got a God, you've got a pastor, you've got a Pope, you've got a whatever, you've got a Bible, and that gives you safety, certainty, and security. And there's not really any meaningful challenge to that that pushes you out of it. It's only really if you have a major, you know, fire under your butt, you know, something, someone you love dies, you get cancer, you know, you um or something the opposite maybe you fall in love with someone but they're of the same sex right so you go oh wait how's this gonna work you know some major life event often is what pushes you out of it um Richard Rohr calls you know you don't you don't grow up by uh, without a uh, great pain or great suffering you know um and generally speaking that pushes you into a stage that is individualistic 
Um, it recognizes a lot of the goods that come from that, but largely it goes, hold on, I'm giving up way too much of my own personal identity here um, to feel safe, secure, and certain. And also I'm giving it full authority to one person. Like, it, you know, a good example, this is in the COVID era, right? We go, wait, I'm listening to my pastor for medical advice. <laughs> How many Christians are going, well, my pastor says I shouldn't get a vaccine or I should get a vaccine. I'm like, your pastor shouldn't be saying either, unless they're also like an immunologist or something, you know, like I would like, I wouldn't listen to a GP on that. I would want someone that's credited in the very specific field. Um, and so how often do we, um, we start to recognize, oh, actually, maybe I'm my own authority and I need to actually outsource authority very specifically and very carefully and very thoughtfully. And so this is a stage that people go through. Or perhaps even I'm not an authority people around me aren't an authority, I, I need to explore, I need to... Well, we make that authority. We, we, we choose to, to lean heavily on who probably knows best, but we know that nobody knows, even if we, that's maybe a bit slightly later stage. I prefer the language of capturing agency in that sense and capturing, and capturing that sense of, of individuality and almost freedom and responsibility rather than authority. But I, but I, think, it's, I think we, you know, we're dabbling in the same area. No, no, absolutely. You're, you're spot on. Um, and so I think that stage really came in at the Enlightenment. That is what the Enlightenment was all about. It was anti-conventional, it was post-conventional, it was starting to, you know, look at ration and reason and logic and, and the individual can, can process and see these things, they can measure something. And I see that that is this to this is 10 centimeters, right? I don't care if my pastor says it's eight, it's 10, you know? I don't care if they say the world's flat, it's round, you know, whatever it might be. Um, and that starts to flesh out and grow as culture and this is where we start seeing secularism rise it's where we see in maybe the, the first instance of this is maybe in europe about 70 80 years ago you see a mass exodus of the church you know europe is not a christian continent anymore and it was the christian continent right? it's the one that colonized everywhere um and somehow you go to england today and you go oh is that it's christian in this room and you're unlikely to get a hand um and what's interesting about it is these shifts from one stage of another psychologically, what's really interesting is when they happen. So that happens in post-enlightenment worlds. What are you going to do when your whole, when you start questioning your faith and everyone you know is a Christian and to exist in this culture, even to run your store, you need to still be a Christian. There's real problems there, you know, right? Doing it today, not so much. If you're in Europe and you're deconstructing, pretty seamless in some ways um, compared to what it was hundred years ago. But not only that, you go, what do you do when you deconstruct and it's 1948 in Europe, in England? Well, you don't go online with your questions. You're lucky if you can go to a library with your questions, right? Public libraries are barely a thing at this point, you know, and broad spread and easily accessible. Never mind literacy and different things. You know, I mean, you have very little options. So your options were, well, I'm not a Christian. And generally speaking, most people went, oh, well, I'm an atheist then. And this is generally what you were saying, you know, like you see this massive shift from like, well, I'm not Christian, so I am an atheist, done, case closed. I mean, I, I've not got this process of wrestling and questioning. I just let go of one and because and it, it was absolute. And you went from a religious fundamentalism to an atheist fundamentalism. Absolutely. And one of the things that I, I try to argue and, and, and atheists, um, they don't like the argument because of the, the language of faith. But I, but, I, but I modeled and argued for how you have people that are raised to believe in a God they don't experience, that claim belief for, and then you've got people who were raised within the broader society to believe in a God that they don't experience, and then said, I don't believe in that God. But the God that 
one group is believing for and the other is believing against is a God that, that neither is, has experienced. And then that becomes all the markers to then go, I project from my experience to say that this is this is true for everyone. And I've taken to saying to, to many atheists, well, that's a position that you hold on faith because it's not one that you've proven and it's not one that's provable. And in fact, if if, if we actually... If you'd read a couple of these these other books, perhaps, would you be open to that? They go, I'm open to the idea. But if I discount that evidence, then I can hold to my faith position. And uh, and I've taken to, to, again, using the language of questioning rather than saying you should believe in X or Y, but but just poking at the curious curiosity of, of, of which, you know, curiousness around the certainty that someone has in the in their faith position, even if their faith position is a is a non-position, to to actually just question that and go, well, it's interesting that you hold to the certainty only through the exclusion of possibility, or only through the exclusion of other data that's out there. And uh, I, I remember recently because I I pulled out a reference to to a triple blind study with uh, um, psychics. Um, with someone going, there's no evidence of this kind of stuff. And if there was scientific evidence, I'd believe. And I said, well, you probably wouldn't. And they were adamant that they would. So I said, yeah, as a reference to a scientific study that does a triple blind test on the following. And they're like, well, I don't understand this. It's too technical for me. Therefore, I can discount it. And so this kind of behavior is, is, is quite fascinating. And I, um, I come across it quite often. And, and what I find most helpful for people is enabling them to find new ways to ask questions, to get past these things that are clear blockers for them. Because there's a lot of these, these conceptual paradigms that guide people's questioning or limit their thinking and limit the possibility. And the challenge, the challenge in many ways is to come back to their, to their experience, that first person present continuous. That's a, that's a phrase that Steve and I have taken to, to using quite a bit in, in, in this. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, fundamentalism is so... Um, it's going to run right through this till quite late stages of development, generally speaking. You're very rarely going to come across uh, people, even people that think they're not fundamental or generally still have a lot of fundamentalism throughout. Um, and duality is really how we see the world. We see either or, up, down, left, right. Um, and so a good example, if you if you look at these markers of uh, conventional into kind of individualistic, if you look at that in just a individual human, you're looking at that child's level between seven and 11. And then as you kind of get to 11, 12, 13, you're going to start pushing into individualistic. And so at that stage, you start to think for yourself. You start to go, my parents don't know everything. I can learn things myself. How many teenagers have you met that aren't fundamental? Right? And so the point is, you still can be very fundamental at these ages. Now, thankfully, in this day and age, fundamentalism is, fundamentalism is challenged a lot more because of a plurality of information. And so this is where I was going to say, today when you have that falling away. So people that lose their faith in Europe today are rare because there's hardly any people that have faith, right? And so it's not that it's not happening still, but it's that it's, it's already happened. And it happens to people that didn't have resources in the way that we do today. So maybe if it happened 20 years ago, people were like, oh, this, this happened to other people here. Read this Brian McLaren book or read Rob Bell or something. So some resources starting to be a bit more innumerable. But now, you could be teaching your youth group that sex before marriage is evil and your kids are pulling out their phone while you're preaching it, Googling it and going, that's bullshit. The Bible doesn't say anything about that, right? So that's the kind of level that um, people are growing up in in this day and age. And so the, the beauty is once those questions come about, whatever the questions, right? It could be anything. Um, that question is there. You type it into a search box, maybe an incognito mode. You know, I don't want anyone seeing my search history, but, um, but you search that thing, you hit go, and the whole world opens up for you. You find online Facebook groups that gather around not believing in 
this thing or that thing or um and so there's this beautiful um space we're in today where deconstruction is so much more facilitated than it's ever been and i think that's why there's such a community around it in a way that probably hasn't been before um in a lot of ways but but also we live in a society where it's it's not abnormal to not be a believer and a committed religious person previous societies re religion and ethnic identity went hand in hand and, and hence the thing with all the colonization and you know people groups and that going out you've you've got those streams that are seeded through society and congregations for people of particular ethnicity for instance within the the you know good old colonialism um and and we really just we're in the generations after that you know um but many of our much of our thinking is still the persistence you know like like you talk about the persistence of that fundamentalism we've got a persistence of institutionalism we've got a persistence of institutional religion as though our religions are still continuing in society to behave and try to provide answers and play the same role in a society that they're no longer permitted to play within the public sphere so they only play that role within communities within the broader society but they speak as though they're still speaking from that long heritage as though they do speak university for everyone and that university in the past was actually still just a narrow geographic terrain that had borders around it it wasn't university as in for everyone in the world and so in some senses religion escapes the borders just of its point of origin but it, it continues saying the same thing that it's been schooled into and then beyond that you've got people that have grown up within that you know so it, you know it's, it's very often you've got one form of migrant from another whether it's a christian migrant to another country or a you know someone from another religion and race that has come in the parents have a traditional faith and belief the quality of their spiritual experience is not is not important because that's that's universally not a universally you're not expecting buddhists to be enlightened or or, or hindus to have self-realization or christians to be meeting christ and experiencing god right. that's not generally a part of the religious narrative it's it's believe behave belong you know stay within the lands rather than are you actually engaging the transcendent whoever whatever that may be as defined you know so that that transcendent source is not actually a part of the local conversation anywhere and so 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 often within a family you end up with the same thing you've got a generation that that, that believes often strongly and then you've got children or, or descendants that that pick one or the other they're either keeping to the traditional values or they're keeping to the cultural norms or they're keeping to religious things or, or you know there's people that 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 wrap them all up or you actually end up with people basically living a a, a very western secular non-religious life until they come home for the equivalent of you know diwali or christmas or or, or whatever mm -hmm. it is and they can't have those conversations with their family you know and so I, i've wanted to bring more people on that i know who've basically gone no tim we can't we can't do that because we, we can't yeah, go online absolutely. we can't go on record for that our family is going to be very unhappy with us and so this is still a very much a part of society and so it's this this deconstruction thing is not limited to christianity it's actually a, a global secular um and religious phenomenon that's 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 huge yeah absolutely like i said faith is just a small part of people's um psychological development the, the thing is that at that stage of development faith is so interwoven with our psychological development like everything comes to god sin 
demons you know at, at that stage everything is that so you can start to deconstruct your political outlook but that's a religious position actually if you're a good christian you vote this way or you know like and so whatever your sexual ethic can start to evolve and change but actually that's a religious position the bible says that you should be like this with the one woman one man you know like whatever it is and so um even, i think even if we, we reinterpret it and present it in a new way like serial monogamy is not monogamy and yet it's presented as though it is and that's the biblical right yeah well this this biblical traditional all these kind of things we've not had tr traditional marriage is like about 150 years old yeah. um you know it's a very new modern idea the concept of marriage that we use in the west today um is very very new um and most people don't know that right they reinterpret it. so they open the bible and they read it back into the bible um but you're as likely to find a helicopter in the bible as you are the model of marriage we use today it just doesn't exist but yeah, no, I think it's, it's, it's really fascinating to me, those, those interplays. And I think this is where the church is really fascinating today, is that the church in the last couple hundred years has in, wrestled with the Enlightenment and wrestled with people shifting away from conventional ways of operating in life and then walking through the church. Uh, so they're starting to be more individualistic, more rational, more um, scientifically inclined. And then they go through those doors on Sunday and they throw that out and they become very, very conventional again. And the church has had to wrestle with that because it has caused people to leave, right? You look at Western Europe, mass exodus. And so the Church has started to shift into a much more individual, personal faith, right? That's what we are now. We're, you go into most Christians' uh, churches today, and it's like, well, what's your faith? Are you praying enough? Are you doing this? Are you doing that? That's not really how Christianity operated. For most of Christianity, it was very much about you're a part of a bigger, broader um, thing, right? It was a, it's about the same as being an American or being South African, right? I mean, it wasn't, you know, you didn't do anything. You just were. You were born into it or you, uh, you were gathered around it. Um, and what's interesting is that's what's creating an issue for Christianity is they're having to tiptoe into this individualism and rationality and science and, and find ways to engage. Um, but in doing that, they're also kind of unraveling their own conventional self, which needs to continue for an institution to work. Um, and so either the institution burns to the ground and they reimagine something new, which is basically what progressive Christianity is in a lot of ways, or everything kind of falls apart. The, the, the institution isn't going to survive another 200 years. Really. <laughs> it's very unlikely. And so, yeah, it's, it's a very fascinating component. But I work with people from all kinds of backgrounds, you know, so I, because I am from Christianity and I try and generally talk within my lane, I work mostly with people from Christian, evangelical, Jehovah Witness, Mormon, you know, different fundamental forms of Christianity. But I frequently talk to Muslims or Hindus, um, Buddhists, people that have grown up in very fundamental components of different backgrounds um, from my own um, that are deconstructing. There's a huge ex-Muslim uh, movement. You type in the hashtag ex-Muslim, hundreds of thousands of people. But what's interesting there is most um, of the Muslim world is still in a place where um, most of their uh, world outside of faith is still interwoven with faith. And so you look at the Middle East, what it means to be a secular person outside of the uh, outside the mosque, you're still a Muslim. And our governments are still very much linked to Islamic texts uh, and, and how they're operating. So again, there's plenty of Muslims that are very progressive and outside of those worlds and operate very, very differently. But they are looking at very different. So you, I talked to an ex-Muslim and I'm like, hi, I'd love to have you. I've had one person on my show and they used a fake name, right? Because they're like, <laughs> I can't do that. Like, because even though I'm out, 
I can't, I can't bring that to my family. I can't have my certain other friends find out. I, I just can't. It's so um, problematically interwoven. So it is interesting that we as Christians, probably most of us in the West, it is an easier out. Painful, hurts like hell. Worst thing that's probably ever happened to most of us. Um, I've had people message me and saying, this is harder than when I sat with my mom for a year dying. Um, she's, she's like, this is harder than that for me. Um, and you go, gosh, yeah, I can, I can imagine it's, it is brutal. It's literally because you're, you're killing yourself. It's your ego that's dying. It's, it's all your construct of who I am. It's not another person. This is, this is me that's dying in this process. It's very, very hard for people that are, um, yeah, anyway, yeah, we'll put that to a second. But yeah, it's an interesting dynamic, those interplays with society and, um, and so on. And we're very fortunate in the West that it is easier. As hard as it is, it's easier because there's a whole world outside of our door you go knock on doors, go start knocking on doors, a hundred doors down, might just give some Christians PTSD saying that, especially as your witnesses. <laughs> um, but you knock on the doors, hundred doors down and say, hey, do you care about Christianity? Are you a do you have a Christian faith? You're going to find more people say no than yes now in most Western countries, apart from maybe America. Um, maybe South Africa is a bit of a, a, an outlier. I don't know how as South Africa falls in a, in a weird uh, geopolitical kind of uh, position, doesn't it? So yeah, anyway. Um, it's a weird place to be like in that caught between those two things. But thankfully we do have a world out there that kind of doesn't mind if we don't believe in Christianity, might not understand our process, but it doesn't care. Um, and that's a, quite a nice thing, I guess. <laughs> Better than Bert at a state. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Phil, I wanted to ask you much earlier when you were talking about some of your early experience um, around this kind of growth and development for you and this shift into this, this, this kind of this becoming of this new person. We talk about the death of self in a way, the death of ego and the emergence of the new, the new person. Was there a moment or was it a grouping of moments that kind of led to that? Was there, there was a point at which you realized this, this is it. The new person is taking over. Was, was there a collection of those things? Are you kind of willing to go into that territory? I have no idea. I honestly don't. I, people ask me all the time. I, I don't. Um, I think in my experience of talking with thousands and thousands of people that go through this process, for a lot of people, maybe even the majority of people, there is. Um, they can go, it was when my son came out as gay. It was when I realized there was no way God could have a conscious, uh, conscious eternal torment uh, model of hell. That's just impossible. Or it's when I found out that there's multiple views on right? it's when i found out the rapture is only 160 years old the concept of the rapture that was it when i found that out, i was done you know or whatever um for me i don't have a point that i could point to and i think maybe part of it was because i was constantly growing up constantly churning through ideas and concepts and refining i think those things weren't as um earth shattering for me when i did find out oh my god there's multiple views of hell and they had that and wait the jews didn't even believe in an afterlife you know it's like it, those things didn't change my world i was like wow that's fascinating how interesting let's keep moving um and and so i don't i i can't find a specific point where like boom everything changed maybe some people witnessing my life might be able to go oh that's roughly the timeline or something um, I can give you maybe a time of like 12 years, maybe something like that. It was quite significant change or something, but I don't, I don't know a specific point, but I do know that um, that is very common in a lot of people, probably the majority. Um, but I will say it's not, uh, again, going back to these broad um, uh, labels, certainly for conventional Christians, um, the big ones are hell, 
one of the biggest, absolutely. The nature of God being good, a huge one. Um, and social justice issues. Um, so sexuality and race are a massive one for a lot of Christians because unfortunately Christians that are stuck in a very conventional model tend to have um, what might be termed outdated views on some of these um, more social justice issues and therefore contradict what it looks like to love in today's world. Um, and so that causes people to question. And so I would say those are some of the bigger points that once people hit those points, maybe the Bible is a huge one. Once people go, wait, this thing is just written by people. Holy crap. Like you know, once you start going, wait, it's not God penning this thing or it didn't like possess like, you know, Paul and like, he's like moving his pen, like a, you know, uh, what's he call them <laughs> Ouija <Meat board>. puppet. <laughs> which is interesting because because people have this view but but that's not actually what the faith teaches in a sense right no and of so, course so that's most that, of these things are quite modern yeah so that ends up being a fascinating thing to actually unpack as well because a lot of people believe in a very modernistic kind of christian christianity or a christianity a very young that christianity is, yeah, very young Christianity in that sense. And they believe it as though this has always been the case. And, and for that to be upended for them, to move from that absurdity towards a more reality for them, completely shatters their faith. I remember when I, when I started studying theology and someone left when they discovered that exact same thing. The Bible wasn't, you know, people weren't possessed. God didn't pen it. It didn't arrive through the same, you know, mythological structures as though the Quran is, is alleged to. And so for that, for them, that was just, that was just, you know, you know, I, I remember the, the final thing, final straw for them was uh, the source book in the Old Testament and the JEDP, the various sources yeah. that are edited together. And it was just, it was so shattering for them. That's it. They, they, they packed up and, and they left. Yeah. Whereas for me, it was just, you know, for myself and for other people, uh, and I'm sure for you included, these kind of things are just fascinating. You know, it's, it's a sense of going, this adds a sense of historicity to it, a sense of reality to it, and a sense of how ideas progress. And therewith, our ideas can progress too. It's not a, it's not a problem. But the vast majority of people, which is where, which is where it's so frustrating that Christianity uses this language of teaching, is that people are not learning, you're not successfully teaching, and if you're not teaching anything that they're going to learn, you're not actually teaching either, you know. <laughs> and there, I find questions can help disrupt and can help enable deconstruction as well. And uh, one of the ones I took to years ago is, well, if teaching is that important to you, just what were they teaching about two weeks ago? it's very rare that I can find anyone that can answer that without having to then plow their brain. Um, right. and, and, and if they can answer that, they can't tell me what happened a month ago. And that doesn't matter how religiously they go. And in some cases that includes someone who was preaching. So what did you preach about last week? Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, it's, it's really true. I mean, we, we forget that conventional Christianity, any form of conventional belief system is constantly evolving that's just a, the nature of human psychology is that we adapt to our environment and we believe what we need to believe. At the end of the day, that's been shown again and again and again on different studies and different people groups and different scenarios. And even in longer term studies, we've only been studying kind of things like development theory for about hundred years, 90 years. Um, but in that time window, we can see very clear progressions and how people evolve. And I mean, look at American Christianity. Um, there's people alive today within the evangelical church that believe that there is absolutely no way whatsoever the Bible would ever, ever want someone to get an abortion. God is absolutely against it. But actually, if you go back to the 1960s, 
the evangelical church was pro-abortion, <laughs> like not even anti, but pro. They were part of what made Roe v. Wade become the law. And actually it was a very political movement that brought in that thing. Now, whatever your views of abortion, abortion is quite an interesting one anyway, because actually historically there wasn't actually that much of an issue with um, the loss of a baby. It was quite a normal thing. It was maybe spiritualized, could be demons, could be angels, whatever. But at the end of the day today, one in three pregnancies is a miscarriage, you know, never mind what was it like, you know, think about how many uh, children weren't even born uh, that made it to childbirth. Somebody didn't survive just because we weren't washing our hands. Imagine the miscarriage numbers you go back 500 years ago. Um, so the point is that that was kind of a very normative part and, and abortion was even uh, a normative role. In fact, in the Jewish text, in our Old Testament, God clearly defines a fetus as not life. Until the water is broken, that is not a human life. So if you kill a pregnant woman, you must uh, pay for the pregnant woman's life uh, with, I think your wife gets killed, so it's kind of crazy. Um, but the, the child is just recompensed as, as some money. But if her water is broken, you actually have to kill one of your own children because you've killed a child as well. And so actually it's right until the very end that that's even considered a child. So the church hasn't seen that as a thing. Judaism, go ask a Jew what they think about abortion. Generally speaking, Jews are, are okay with abortion. Um, now, what's interesting is society has become more and more anti-abortion. Uh, and so a part of it is just to do with science, right? You stick someone with an ultrasound and suddenly they go, fuck, that's a child. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? It, it's, it's no longer, I mean, for much of human history, we thought it was water. <laughs> water turned into a child. Um, so all my point is that we, we, we constantly evolve. Just looking through faith, we're constantly evolving what we believe that. And even outside of faith, we're constantly evolving what's, what's right and what we believe and what, what's this, what's that. Um, and what's interesting is the narrative we then add of, and this has always been the case. Um, now, generally, people that are in a slightly more uh, modern, postmodern perspective tend to see an evolving, ongoing, changing person. If you ask a teenager um, what they believed at seven and what they believed at three, if you showed them a video of them at three, uh, being completely wrong, they would laugh about it. But it was an interesting study done with three-year-olds. Um, and so what they did is they got two glasses, a tall glass and a short, fatter glass. And they put water in the short, fat glass and they poured it in the tall glass. And then they asked the three-year-olds, which one holds more water, right? Every single one of them says the tall glass, right? And we've all done this <laughs> with our kids, you know, and give them a big coin or a small coin, right? And everyone wants the giant two pence piece or whatever, you know? Um, and, and they all picked the big glass. Now, what's really interesting about the study is they then waited three years and brought them in at six and they showed them a, they, they did the same question and they said which holds the most water and they're like I just watched you pour one to the other the same right but what's really interesting is they then showed them a video of them at three and they refused every single one of them refused to believe that was them because they could not fathom that they could have thought differently and so I think what you're seeing in, in most conventional spaces, there is not a possibility that we could have thought differently. Whereas in most um, post-conventional spaces, we understand we could have thought a little bit more childishly early on. Um, I don't use that as a derogatory sense either when I say childishly. No, no, just no, no. And, in, and in fact, the child that thought differently, that voiced it differently is, was often the one that is, that is ostracized. I think of our, mm -hmm. how some kids developmentally are ahead and how they develop the outsider identity and the yeah. loner identity because they don't fit in and they didn't go with the norm. So yeah. the, the norm pushes them in a particular direction, you know, or... Um, um, yeah, I, and, and that just ends up being fascinating because, because society and, and religion and faith and groups have a way of going, here's our boundaries, here you, here's the markers for how you identify with us and therefore we identify with you. 
and if you betray that it's a it's a deep betrayal mm, um yeah. i was listening to someone the other day um uh do a talk and they were talking about the east versus west schism and and I'd, I'd never known that it can get as petty as this and he was talking about how in the and i'll probably get the direction wrong so both groups will hate me but they're saying that the catholics are the sign of the cross and they they go from right to left and oh my goodness that is horrendous because the way it has always been is you do the sign of the cross and you go from left to right and that's how we knew and and, and they were using that as illustrative to point out of 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 how how in close relationships you often have these major tensions you know, mm. around where you squeeze the toothpaste from or anything like that. And in religion, we often have those kind of pettiness in the backstory as well, except it's amplified up to, you know, the level of, you know, one group killing another group, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, because because eternity is on the line, not just where the toothpaste sits in the tube. Yeah. <laughs> often that's the waiting. But anyway, yeah. Yeah. And it's the eternity of everyone that's on the line. But from our perspective, we take it as though ach, this was just so petty. So even from our perspective, people today are projecting back onto the past that they're not seeing like where would they have been in the Salem witch trials they'd be burning mm. the witches you know where would they be in the walking dead they'd be the zombies you know everyone pictures themselves as the hero as right. opposed to picturing themselves in the context of their society approaching it as though their society would have would have approached it and in the past those societies handled it as a group thing the outsider be that the left-handed person or the blasphemer or whatever actually threatened the, the, yeah. the divine barrier and protection of society as a whole, you know, and, and so there's things like that, that we struggle to see and we struggle to understand. So this, this thing that you're highlighting of how someone, even with the window on themselves, can often not conceive of themselves in that way, we also look at society. And I think it, 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 it also goes through to seeing the fundamentalist behavior on the ultra conservative side and the ultra liberal side and mm -hmm. how both functionally have been doing cancel culture cancel culture is not new it's just the fundamentalist used to do it sure. you know it's um, just evolving and the same with the moral <laughs> panic you know i i i i've made the mistake in some white groups of, of just using the wrong terminology or the wrong term and then gone where'd i go wrong and it's just it's just it's not repenting enough quickly enough you know mm. like you just you just haven't earned it so like now you're out and i've gone what do you what do you mean you know like i live in a different world my language is different you know and so it's interesting observing that kind of stuff and just recognizing that uh, that in some ways that the, the, the challenge for many people is to is to not see themselves as the outsider and i find a lot of people that are deconstructing still see themselves as the outsider because within their world and in relation to the people that they've lived and journeyed with for such a long time they're experiencing such deep pain and outsider dynamics and yep. that becomes part of their ongoing identity issues um, and and deconstruction really cuts very deep because you, we yeah. are working with people that are that are willing enough to go i can risk everything including friends and family um, mm -hmm. ca careers in many people's cases um, it's more important that i actually let go of what i no longer believe to be the truth to not even have the truth and go on that journey and that's really that's really the heart of deconstruction rather yeah. than de-churching or anti-christianity or converting from one religion to an atheism anymore even that is not the is not the window anymore well that's it and that's, that's why we started to do research um is because uh, when you look across the plethora of studies there are there's loads of studies done on faith and they're, they're wonderful and really interesting and deeply insightful um but generally speaking they kind of miss the miss the the uh, the forest of the trees you know they 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 
narrow down and go, oh, this is what atheist, this is agnostic, this is Christian, this is um, spiritual, but not religious or whatever. And, and that's all wonderful. But when you're looking at this group of people, they often don't identify with anything in particular, or they are extraordinarily complex mixes of different faiths. Um, and so generally you have things like unaffiliated or none, um, and, and they go, oh, so people that deconstruct are just nuns or duns or unaffiliated, or they're atheists or agnostic. And it's like, no, actually over 30% of people that deconstruct are Christian. So um, I still identify as Christian. It's like, okay, so well, all right. So they're just de-churched then. It's like, ah, no, actually about 29% still go to church at least once a week. And you're like, oh, who the hell are these people? And so uh, that's why we started to do research is to try and get some data on uh, this kind of emerging movement um, and give it some sort of identity, some sort of data to point to and go, this is, this is what makes up this group of people. This is where they end up going and, and looking at where they end up. It's a it's a, it's a spider web, you know, it just shoots out everywhere. Um, and so, yeah, we can say 30% still identify as Christian. But even in that, what do they identify within Christianity? It's a very mixed bag. You know, some go into Orthodox and um, maybe more um, traditional faith uh, groups, you know, Catholic, Orthodox, mainline. Others go into much more um, progressive movements. Some even stay within evangelicalism, um, which is fascinating. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's very mixed. Um, others go into other religions and, and things like that. And then some do go atheist, agnostic, spiritual, but not religious, all these different things. But it's, it's going to be complex. And I think the more we can get data on that, the more we can highlight this is who this group of people look like, the more we can change the narrative around that. Because I think at the, right now, the narrative is largely um, entirely based on people's experiences, which is great, but we all live in these tiny bubbles. And so probably not the best or and heavily based on our bias. Right. So you've got a whole bunch of people that have their own perspective on what it is to deconstruct. Um, and what we're trying to do is get, you know, thousands of people paint a picture of who they are and go, actually, on a broad scale, this is what defines deconstruction. They all kind of fall within this margin, within a 95%, uh, you know, acceptable rate with maybe about 3% error. We can say that deconstruction is you questioned one or more of your core values and your, uh, of your traditional faith and it didn't hold up to answering it. You didn't agree with the traditional faith's way of answering that. You let go of that core value and rebuilt some new core value. Even if the core value you now have is that's not true, right? So you can say, I don't believe in God. That's still a belief, right? So people go, well, you can't just believe in nothing. I've never met anyone that believes nothing. They might believe the opposite of what you believe, but that isn't not believing something. So they, they rebuild the career. But what's interesting is what we can see across the vast majority of people that self-identify as deconstruction is that they hold their new beliefs with less of a tight grip. They hold their beliefs much more openly. So yes, there's fundamentalism, especially in people that are early on in that process. But there's this... Uh, slight learned humility of like, I used to absolutely passionately believe my last beliefs and they were wrong. So although I still passionately believe now that there is no God, I'm open, right? Now you, like your experience, you know, Tim, you might say, well, how open are you really? Cause you're shutting down every option I'm giving you uh, to explore that. Um, but there, there is to some degree uh, more um, openness and less fundamentalism. And so um, I think so the beauty of that is that we can actually start painting broader pictures and go so when John Piper goes well deconstructing Christians are this and you go actually John that's bullshit here's some data maybe that adds up if you knuckle down all the things you said it might add up for one percent of the people so yeah you maybe even met that person I don't know but it's not true the people that are most clearly defining what deconstruction is 
are a not defining deconstruction and b they're supporting their support of the institutionalism as you've mentioned in the post they're gaslighting people with very real issues and very real questions that they're bringing to the table this ends up being it ends up being really important work to do is to is to actually find a way to lend voice to what deconstruction is and this is why i'm passionate about not painting these directions because i would say it still happens within deconstruction so people that uh, consider themselves leaders in this movement you know i don't consider myself a leader in this movement i'm just doing some research and helping some people here and there um but i'm definitely not leading anyone anywhere um but people that consider themselves leaders some do it amazingly i'd say the vast majority do it amazingly but a lot of people don't they go deconstruction is this and they have their own identity that they've developed as they've grown through a deconstruction and they said that is what it is to deconstruct deconstruction is to become a progressive christian and if you don't you're doing it wrong or deconstruction is to become an atheist and if you don't you're doing it wrong um, and i think that's the danger as well so i i'm wanting to point my finger inwards at the community that um is deconstructing as well and go there's still potential problems here where you're painting a narrative that doesn't add up when we look at the broader data um and i think that's just as dangerous in a sense as um, people inside the church in fact maybe even more dangerous because let's face it if you're leaving a conventional faith you don't care what your pastor identifies uh, defines deconstruction as but someone on the other side going hey i know the way and let me tell you what you're doing and what it is that could be extremely harmful potentially if it doesn't answer the questions well so we i really do care about the fact that it's being so poorly defined by people that are really very pro institutional christianity in particular and commercial christianity is because they use they use that language to bully people to not ask questions to not process things to not take responsibility for their own spirituality or the change that they want to see in the world or anything like that and so so i feel like it's very it's very important to not let the identity of what a deconstructor is be set by any particular narrow group and so one of the things that 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 Stephen I for instance of like wrestle with is 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 something you mentioned earlier a the high powered educated business person arrives and sets their brain aside on sunday and does the repeat after me thing that just makes me want to slap them right <laughs> um, like brain and agency yeah brain and agency yeah and so that's that's that, that that's one one example but then there are people that are growing up or have grown up who are starting to experience complex stuff in life and the narrative doesn't hold and what groups often do is is they'll they'll parade the exception as though it's the norm yes and so for the 99% of people that are out there this faith in that is not working because something's wrong with you if you were like mm -hmm. this person that we paraded up once to prove the point this exception that just justifies the norm that we're putting forward you know it's 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 very different kind of dynamics with those people defining what deconstruction is it's not safe for people to have a lifestyle of deconstruction as the deconstruction the questioning the returning to agency the returning to to the ground of reality and presence to enter deeply into living and loving is 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 most key because with that you can you can sit with people that is the that is the other and entertain and understand that they can have a different perspective as opposed to living in these worlds where 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 you can't so you end up living lives that are shut down that that are lives where you're actually pulling away from life into you know it's it's a retreat based spirituality um that only finds expression within an, an institution and people get into these pathological processes you know like i i remember saying to someone um a couple of years ago where she was struggling with her business and i said i genuinely think that 
And I felt that I genuinely heard from God. So I went with that language and I said, you've got three deals that are going to come up, three tenders. Take, take all three of them as you prep them and go and sit and wait on God and God's going to speak to you about it. First thing was she did get, end up with three tenders, <laughs> but she did not do any of that. Mm. She rather went with the narrative of going, I went and tithed extra at church on my credit card. <laughs> and I said, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? Like, like, like firstly, you, you really wanted to process and you really went into journey into the question as to whether you can hear from God. And then you do the very opposite of that in terms of staying within this particular kind of, you know, Pentecostal prosperity kind of lane. Yeah. And, and she couldn't see that. And that was the last time we spoke because she just, she just refused to, to put it on the line as though she could even hear from, from God. And yet she, she was dying for that. And, and that's something that I see over and over and over as people are dying for authenticity and, and, and the depth of relational engagement with themselves and others, um, potentially even with, with the divine or the transcendent with God. And then they're not getting there in any of those, you know, and they're not, they're not able to get to the place of going, well, I'm not getting that. This is not working. Let me try something different. They, they can't even get there because they're so like locked in. And so in that sense, I, I very much, I, I personally very much do care that, that this, that the understanding of what deconstruction is, is not put forward as though it is a singular thing or that it's not put forward as though it's an anomalous thing. This is, this is prevalence and we do need to lend scope as to what the variety of deconstruction is and and find better ways of enabling it those of us that are doing it on technically we're not making money from our clientele no no there are some that do but yeah 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 so even even that for the large majority of us it's it, it's passion work in that sense yeah it it, it it and that transfers from those early days of often being within you know as you say like it's not like the accusation of going you weren't a real christian you didn't really believe you know, you didn't really get it right in the way that it made within Christianity. So you were never one of us to begin with. You know, that's that's often the language. Yeah. I think as well, uh, uh, and this might be just a bit of my my uh, ethos developed from my experience, but in my experience of talking with people, I you know talked with probably a thousand people in a month, two months. So I talked to a lot of people going through this uh, process. People are where they are, and you can't make them anywhere else. And that goes for people that are starting to deconstruct, like I was saying with the questioning, like you, you question what you're questioning right now. I can't make you question something else. Even if I think maybe there's a better order to do some of this questioning in, you're going to end up coming back to see something or, you know, but you're going to question what you question. You are where you are and you believe what you believe. You can't make someone anything other than what they are in this present moment. And that goes for that person, but it also goes for the person in the church. And, you know, it's so frustrating to witness, you know, like this person that, uh, you know, seems on the edge of a breakthrough, you know, of, of a different way of engaging with reality, engaging with the divine, you know, and, and operating in this uh, world, and then goes, nah, I'm going to go right back to what I know and tie some more and, you know, get, you know, fall, dig, I'm going to dig a bigger hole, give me my shovel back. And the truth is, you then go, well, maybe if I said it slightly differently, maybe if I pushed her a little bit harder, maybe if I took away that option, you know, maybe a store credit card and cut it up in front of her. I don't, but to me, I'm like, I, I doubt it. We look at people inside those conventional faiths and we transpose ourselves into their, their situation, much like they do with their marriage into the Bible or whatever it is, right? You know, we, we, we look backwards and we see ourselves as we are now. That there's been some amazing studies on this uh, psychologically through our memory. Um, they found that we can remember the past very well, but we don't remember how we thought in the past. And generally, we transpose our current ideas, beliefs, value systems, ego structure into our memories, because we can't generally rebuild our past ego. Um, and so 
I remember what it was like to be in the church, but actually I don't remember what I was like in the church very well. I actually reimagined my current self into that memory. Now it's not absolute. Of course, we remember certain parts of what it was like to be, you know, and all that. But the point being, when I look at someone in the church and I go, well, why don't you just ask this question? Or if, if I just ask you that question, surely that would pop it. Cause that popped open for me. That was the, the point, right? And generally, no, that's not going to do it, right? I mean, how many Christians have heard exactly, I, even the questions that were big deals for me, how many thousands of times did I hear them in my life? And it just went in one ear and out the other, or I had the answer. It was God's ways are not our ways, or that worked for me for so long. And suddenly God's ways are not our ways falls flat. Um, and I think it's a really interesting dynamic that people in the conventional space that are fighting deconstruction so hard, trying to co-opt it, trying to gaslight people that are deconstructing, uh, I, I'm intrigued by this dynamic because what I've personally seen from it is there are three people that are engaging with what they say. So you look at a big celebrity pastor who's doing a big sermon series on deconstruction and they tell you it's because you didn't believe or you don't know the Bible or you didn't pray hard enough. You never were a serious Christian. And they've got their 10 series and whatever they've got. And you look at that and there's three people that are listening to it, right? There's us listening to it going, you mother jerk, that's not true. That's not me. Right. But basically all it does does is get us frustrated. Right. I mean, it, it can be really harmful. It can be hurtful. It can, you know, trigger all sorts of stuff in us. But at the end of the day, all it's doing is winding things up. And if we just turned it off, it would make no difference in our life whatsoever, what they say. The other person is the conventional Christian. It's very comforting, uh, comforted in their faith and they're, they're happy in their faith. And I could go up to them and go, here's the irrefutable proof that there was never a Jesus on planet earth. And it's been documented eight different ways. And here's the proof, right? Which doesn't exist, but you know, there you go. They would still go, I can't hear you. I'm going to church now. <laughs> Do you want to come? Um, like it just wouldn't happen. And so all for them, they get out of that sermon series is a pat on the back. It's basically a circle jerk. They're all sitting there going, look at us. We're proper Christians. They're not. Now I feel better about my son who left. Now I feel better about that person at work that's not listening to me and not coming back to faith. Or I feel comforted knowing that we're right and they're wrong and they weren't really Christians, but I really am a Christian. Because the thing is, well, if they were like me, then this could happen to me. But if I can make them not like me, then I feel safe and it's not going to happen to me. So all basically the sermon series does nothing to them apart from give them a shovel to dig a bit deeper, but they're digging away anyway. Maybe it gives them a slightly bigger shovel, but they're digging away all day, all day until they have a big thing. They're probably not going to change anytime soon. The third person, and this is what I'm excited about because this is who I talk to every day, is the person sitting in the pew going, I'm asking the same questions that some of these people are asking. Deconstruction. That's what it's called. Well, now I know what's Google. Now I've got a hashtag to follow. Now I've just found this Facebook group online. Oh my God, here's some podcasts. Like to me, they're basically our PR to people that live in a bubble that never really get to explore this world. They are suddenly given a window into here's a whole other people group that might listen to your questions. That when I used to travel, I got to go to maybe if I was really busy that year, 200 churches in a year. And I'd meet those people and I'd give them an opportunity to start asking questions. And then they went off and found a Facebook group where they started to read a book. And I could reach maybe a few hundred people a year. I gave them that experience of talking to them, giving them a book, whatever. Now, some Christian pastor doing a sermon series sends hundreds of people to me a month because they go, oh, I was listening to uh, this Christian worship leader who's anti-deconstruction and I'd never heard of deconstruction before, but I Googled it and I found your podcast. I listened to someone. I'm like, oh my God, this is what I'm doing, but I didn't know I was safe. And I'm, I feel more safe. And I feel like maybe I am going to leave the church and maybe I need to believe this or maybe that. And, and to me, I, I don't worry too much about it because honestly, the people that are listening are usually us and we're listening to get annoyed. 
And that's basically all we're doing out of this. Or it's the people in the pews that are just patting themselves on the back. But the people that are actually at that critical point, they're not listening. Once you've got questions, you don't listen to your pastor telling you to stop questioning and actually stop questioning. I, I've, I've not come across that. Once you've got the question, you're a, you're a dog with a bone. Being told to stop the questioning just drives you to question. Makes it worse. It just makes, it, makes it worse. So I, I, I honestly, I kind of look at it with a, a bemused smile most of the time going, oh, thank you so much. You've saved me so much in Facebook ads. Um, you know, like or whatever. I don't know. I've never done ads, but they are basically my greatest advertisers. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean, I had someone contact me about a year ago saying, I'm writing a book to take you down and I'm writing about you and this person and this person and this person. And they mentioned a whole bunch of people. And I don't know why they thought it was a big deal to take down because I'm like, Guys, I am like the smallest deal in the world out there. Like, <laughs> focus on some other people. But I was like, this is great. You're advertising for me. Wonderful. I'll do some, give me a call. I'll talk to you for a few hours so you can take me down right. You know, I'll, I'll let you know what I believe so you can really address it. <laughs> I don't care what you say. Like, it's just advertising to me. Um, so, yeah, it's just a different perspective, I guess, on, on some of that um, gaslighting process is I think it can be harmful and, and frustrating. But actually, generally speaking, it's kind of doing more good than bad in some ways, because I don't think most of the people that are dug in the hole really are climbing out of that hole anytime soon. Um, I think if their pastor suddenly said, you can all start asking questions now. I think most of them, in fact, this is my experience. I, when I traveled and spoke, I generally gave people options. I, the last sermon I gave in a church, uh, my own church that I was a part of, they asked me to do a, um, a, a talk about the cross. And I was like, do you want me to do a talk about the cross? I'm like, I can, but like, gosh, I don't know what you want to know. I probably wasn't that conventional in any way, shape or form at that point. And basically I got up and I shared the seven different views over the ages about the cross. And so I started with some really early moral theory and um, Christus Victor and uh, ransom theory and different. And I basically gave seven different views that you can have that the church and Christians have had about Jesus and why he died and what it means. And then I ended up going, so there you go. Those are the beliefs. Uh, you're going to have to figure out what makes sense to you. It might be a bit of a mix of them. It might be one ways heavier on you. It might make more sense to you. It might line up more with the person of Jesus and the nature of God. You figure it out. I have never experienced persecution like I experienced after that. <laughs> um, like I, I've had people online tell me that they, you know, they pray that God sends someone to kill and rape my family. You know, like because of what I'm teaching. I mean, that's Christians praying for that. I'm like, mm. interesting. They, they may have picked that up from the Psalms, really. <laughs> it's in there. It's not far from the Bible, that's for sure. Um, but that is nothing compared to the fallout of that sermon. And the reason I had that fallout for that sermon was because I said, here's a whole bunch of options. Go think for yourself. We don't want to think for ourselves when we're in that place. And so even if the pastor turned around, in fact, most of the pastors I work with that are deconstructing can't do it publicly. They can't start opening up and going, hey, here's different views. Let's look at this more openly. They will be kicked out in a millisecond if they start doing that. And that's quite a common theme amongst people that we, we've spoken to, where, where some people basically got the, you're now being censored and you've got to start running things by us. And yeah, you know, yeah. so, so to step out of the party line is to, is, is to very much end up in, in, in that box. Guys, I'm sorry to interrupt there. It's such a fascinating conversation, but I have got to head out and go and collect kids from school. Um, so my time is coming to an end, but I just wanted to jump in and say, Phil, thank you so much. Of course. Uh, it's been great. Correcting a couple of things there. Yeah, really appreciate being able to sit in on the conversation. I've enjoyed listening to your points of view and what you're putting across. Sounds like the work you're doing is incredibly like inestimable value. Um, and uh, would hope to connect with you again at some point and for the conversation. It's a, a wonderful opener. So thank you for making the time. 
Of course. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate, appreciate it. I'm gonna, I'll leave the, the two of you to carry on. I must get moving. But uh, yeah, just before I drop out, just thank you very much. Thank you for taking the time to connect um, with me and with us today. Of course. I mean, it's really fun. It's been Great fun brilliant. to talk to you guys. Yeah. Um, it would be nice to, to to reconnect at some point in the future and explore some more of the research that that is actually yeah, coming out. Yeah, be well, great. If you, we've if got a whole other spot of research coming out early next year, um, so it'll be really interesting. With a lot of it is going to include things like where do people end up and what does it look like, and so it'll be really interesting to look at some of the data on that because that's one of the biggest things that people talk about and point to. Even when people start deconstructing, they go, "Well, where is this going to go for me?" And I can go, look, I don't know. I really don't know. It's a it's a dice roll, but it will be interesting to be able to say, oh, well, actually, about 30% become Christian, about 15% become atheists, about 10% spiritual, not religious. And, you know, it'd be, it'd be interesting to throw out some of those uh, numbers a bit more uh, clearly. It doesn't, you're still one person in millions, so who knows which oh, one absolutely. you'll be. But <laughs> it'd be fun to uh, be able to have some of that data, at least to kind of, again, change the narrative about how diverse this group is, because um, it is extraordinarily diverse. Thanks for, for picking up this work in the way that you have your end. You know, um, of course, there's, I don't think there's, there's enough as us that are doing this work in this way that, 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 that provides the kind of data or the kind of backbone, creates some kind of objective like references and, and frames. Sure. But at the same time, who, who are taking it seriously and holding it loosely in that way of going, you know, um, this work for us is about enabling others rather than about just trying to, you know, bring them into some kind of category again and uh, problem again and, uh, and that takes a tremendous amount of, of, of courage and, and bravery and so thank you I think that's, that's awesome thank you I appreciate the work you guys are doing it's been really fun to talk with you both really enjoyed it